Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey everybody, welcome to the nation. That's the Barbecue Nation. I'm JT along with Camaro Dave, Commander Chris, coming to you from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland. And today you're listening to us on the Sun and Vision Radio Networks. Uh, we thank you for being with us. Um, new book out, and from one of my favorite people in the barbecue business, Ray Sheehan from the from the Barbecue Buddha. Uh, he's got a new book called Award-Winning Barbecue Sauces and How to Use Them. And I think that's an important topic, the last part of that, how to use them. Um, the other part of the title is The Secret Ingredient to the Next Level of Smoking. Uh, so we'll get with Ray in just a minute. We would like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef the way nature intended. You can check it out at PHNB or PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. Hey, Ray, welcome to the show, bud. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. So why on earth did you write a book? <laughs> I always have, uh, to, you know, I have to ask that. Uh, you know, it, it was a bucket list item for me. I've always wanted to uh, write a cookbook. Um, but really I wanted to get my, um, my sauces and my techniques out there into the world and, and share it with everyone. And, um, you know, we made this kind of like a comprehensive, uh, book really. Uh, it features, uh, 10, 10 barbecue sauces that have, uh, won national international awards, um, and, or have helped me win cooking awards, um, the, the, the most highly awarded one was the Memphis Mop Barbecue Sauce. I think that's that's the one that's really won all the awards for us. Um, and just as the book was coming out, um, it came out April 14th, uh, the uh, National Barbecue and Grilling Association's Awards of Excellence came out. And uh, lo and behold, we won first place for the uh, Memphis Mop in the Vinegar uh, Mild category this year. So that was, uh, you know really exciting right as the book was about to come out um but more more than just the sauces it's how to use them there's 10 different sauces and then we give you five different ways to use each one so there's 50 different um barbecue grilling smoking recipes to uh, complement the sauces or the sauces to you know that the sauces are going to transform your barbecue basically is what we're saying and we're going to show you how uh, we're going to get into that in the next couple of segments, but the one thing I wanted to ask, and I usually ask um, all the people that have written books and that, how long did it take you to do this? Was this something you had been, like you said, it was a bucket list item. So had you been kind of making notes and stuff over the years and had a big oh, file yeah. on your desk and then finally you said, okay, I got to put this together. I wouldn't say it was a huge file, but, it was something that um, I had been uh, collecting recipes that, you know, work tweaking on uh, different recipes. Um, 
consequently, uh, I had some, I did have some backup. Uh, I write for the Barbecue News magazine, so I'm constantly working on recipes for uh, every month for them. And then I try to develop separate content or separate ideas for any other projects I'm working on. Um, so I did have a base. Like I knew, I was like, one day I'm going to write a book. I just don't know how, and I don't know, you know, how I'm going to get it published. And um, I was at a barbecue expo, and I ran into a good friend of mine who happens to be a, uh, a world champion barbecue guy, uh, Bill Gillespie, uh, from Smoking Hogs uh, Barbecue. And uh, he was kind enough to, uh, you know, after our discussion, to introduce me to his publisher. And then it was a process of trying to, you know, pitch them my idea and, uh, coming up with the premise of the book, and then how much time did I have? Once we signed the contract, I think I had uh, end of April, May, June. I probably had a little over two months. So uh, I, I would, it, I got it together pretty quick, um, pretty thorough. But it, one thing that I've learned is that uh, writing these books is a process of refinement. So once I turned it in, it was far from being done because. You know, the editor's going to look at it, the copy editor, and, you know, there's a lot of different eyes on it. So it was it was a process of refinement throughout. Well, and even once they do that, then you've got to look at the um, photography. And, oh, you know, that's we were, a whole we different really, deal. Yeah, we were really, um, I was really lucky to have uh, Ken Goodman photography uh do the photos for the book. Ken Goodman is um, an amazing A-list photographer. He's done everyone's books. I mean, uh, he's done, you know, Tuffy's book. He did Pitmaster. Uh, he's also a world champion barbecue guy. He's on the IQ barbecue team, you know, and he was a chef for 20 years. So he knows um, how to, you know, make, he knew how to make my food really sing, I feel like. He, he really um, had a vision and, and, and uh, helped me to uh, showcase my vision for the dishes as well. So I was, and it was all natural light. There was no, uh, no trick, no trickery in, in the photography. No, uh, you know, nothing was fake. It was all real food that we produced. So we had to, you know, I had a team of like, you know, two of my buddies came over, one brought his, uh, 250 gallon tank smoker we had my smokers and rubber kettles going and um and we just produced and we just knocked it all out in about four or five days so that leads me to another question <clears throat> i've been on um uh, tv shoots and stuff and, it, and it's probably not that different than if you're cooking at a competition but if you've ever watched them and people have heard me say this before if you've ever watched them make a television commercial like for Burger King, they literally have semis full of food and they hand select, they'll cut up 50 tomatoes and pull two slices out of 50 tomatoes. And they'll look at it and the photographer will look at it or the camera guy will look at it, the art director, and they'll go, okay, we need, you know, more red on it or something. And they can paint them. They use all kinds of stuff from hairspray to rubbing alcohol to <laughs> carnauba wax to the whole gambit of things to do, to do that. But how much did you have to cook for the pictures? I mean, you didn't just cook one rack of ribs. Um, actually, uh, 
like for the Memphis ribs, I did. I only cooked one rack of ribs. Really? For the for the cover, I only did one rack of uh, of St. Louis ribs, and that and that one made the cover. And inside the uh, St. Louis rib recipe is one of the prettiest pictures that that I've seen, you know, in a cookbook. I think, and, and I'm not just you know biased. But it really looks good. Um, you know, I only had one brisket, so I couldn't mess it up. <laughs> I had to really be on my game. <laughs> this gets kind of costly. And, uh, you know, as, as I was saying, uh, I, I actually had a brisket that, that we were going to use in competition. So we had a really, it was a really good brisket. It was a Wagyu. So I couldn't mess that up because then we would be really out of luck. Yeah. Um, some of the, some of the food, you know, we purchased as needed. Like, so I had purchased from my butcher and my local grocery store and, you know, a, a ton of product that I knew I was going to cook in the first two days and then replenish because I do have, while I do have extra refrigeration, um, some of the things like the rack of pork and some of the uh, garnishes, I just went out and got that morning before we started shooting. And um, we had so much food, you know, left over. So I was like sending food home with people. We donated some of the food. We ate some of the food. Some of the food I had to hang on to because we were going to use it for a different part of the shoot. Like for the brisket, we do Texas-style brisket with the flat. We do, uh, you know, Kansas City burnt ends in the uh, with the point, and then uh, we're chopping it up and using it in brisket baked beans. So I had to kind of hang on to that. Well, that's and, uh, that's really unusual. I mean, that congratulations on being able to do that, but that's really unusual because. I've been on the other end of those things where the first TV shoot I did, I think we had something like 70 pounds of steak uh, to do. We ended up... Certain things I had extra. Certain things I did have a little bit extra because there was a little bit, you know, not as much room for error, but... Sure, sure. Uh, It seems like the Italians have reopened the medieval wine windows to maintain social distancing. Wine windows, Boucher del Vino are small hatches built into stone buildings that were once used to sell wine directly to Tuscany's working-class residents. The bubonic plague reached Italy in 1629, and by the time it had passed in 1631, nearly one million Italians had lost their lives due to the epidemic. Well, during that time, some of the nation's best winemakers, such as Anatori, which means leading winemaker, would sell wine and take payment through contactless transacting using a metal plate passed through the wine window. Now, for the first time in centuries, several wine windows have been reopened to serve serve, uh, food and drinks while maintaining social distancing guidelines during the current pandemic. The Vivoli ice cream parlor put its wine window to use by selling gelato and coffee through it. <clears throat> Excuse me. More than 150 of these historic wine windows remain throughout the city of Florence, all protected by the city's Wine Window Association. While the windows have been frequently vandalized due to their accessibility, uh, Matteo Fagilia, president of the Wine Window Association, I didn't know there was such a thing, hopes people change their attitude towards them in the light of the current social distancing requirements. Uh, Fagilia told uh, Insider Magazine, we want to put a plaque by all the wine windows as people tend to respect them more when they understand what they are and their history. 
Um, we're going to take a break here on The Nation, and uh, Ray Sheehan and I will be back to talk about his book, uh, Award-Winning Barbecue Sauces and How to Use Them, The Secret Ingredient to Next Level Smoking. We're going to get into the minutiae of this right after these messages here on Barbecue Nation. Stay with us. Everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Sun and Vision Radio Network. I'm JT, and we're talking with Ray Sheehan today. Uh, you've probably seen his Barbecue Buddha. Uh, sauces around or read about them if you subscribe to national barbecue news you've read ray's column in there and his new book out which is just out just uh what less than a week or so here award yeah. award-winning barbecue sauces and how to use them the secret ingredient to next level smoking and uh good book i recommend it out there it's really good so as we dive into this a little bit ray biggest mistake people make with their sauces when they're doing it and i'm not talking about the competitors because a lot of them don't they serve sauce as sides or on the side right but uh the weekend warriors the the average person that you know cooks a few racks of ribs a year and maybe a couple of brisket flats a year and so on and so forth um and they burn some chickens so what's what's the trick yeah, I, I think one of the one of the questions I get asked a lot is, uh, can I marinate, you know, the, the protein or, you know, the chicken or whatever protein in your sauce and then throw it on the grill? And I'm like, well, you know, to me, that's, you really want to use the sauce toward the end of cooking because otherwise it's going to, it is going to burn up on the grill. You are going to burn that chicken or that fish, you know. Um, so I, I always recommend using the sauces uh, towards the end um, of cooking as a finishing uh, technique mostly, um, unless you're going to be cooking low and slow and then building layers of flavor throughout the cook, mopping it on. That's one thing, but I, I still kind of really would marinate with, with them. Uh, and the book features uh, really some good brines and rubs and marinades um, to help keep the proteins moist and, uh, and flavorful as well. When I was a kid, <clears throat> the, not just at my house, um, and again, the listeners have heard me tell plenty of horror stories about the barbecues at my house when I was a kid. Um, my family was farm family, meat and potatoes, but barbecue was something a little different for them. Even though we packed on the horses up in the mountains and cooked over campfires and my mom never seemed to burn anything on those campfires, but on a barbecue, that was a different story. So they would always, she would kind of season the chicken, then she would slosh some sauce on it, and then they would put the, put it on a rotisserie, uh, you know, over direct heat. Of course, they didn't know much about direct and indirect heat in those days because it was 150 years ago, you know, type thing. And so, um, and within 
25 minutes, that chicken was turning black. Right. You know, and it, and it, yet you, you wasn't anywhere near ready to be finished or to, to eat like that. And so I always remember that. And I've seen even some close friends that cook and, you know, they've helped me on certain projects and stuff from time to time. And they still don't learn. They still want to slather that stuff on right from the top. It makes me nuts. <laughs> it just does. Well, you know, if you have a if you have a good, uh, even if it's just kosher salt, cracked black pepper, uh, a good rub, that's going to give you your base. And then, I, like I said, if you can build it over time, that that layer of uh, flavor with us, like by mopping it, and uh, and we do discuss you know indirect versus direct heat, you know, grilling uh, in, in the book as well. And you know, it's not going to uh, turn black if you do it. Um, offset if you do it you know uh, so it's indirect but uh it, it when you're doing it direct like that all of a sudden it smells so good and you don't want to dive in but it's not done yet you're <laughs> all right of a sudden it's black you know yeah exactly so when people are looking for sauces and you can you know please feel free to talk about your own sauces but when they're looking for sauces how do they determine it because um I always recommended up until just a couple of years ago when people say, I want to make my own sauce. Well, you can certainly do that. And they'd say, well, how do I do it? Oh, sure. And I'd say, uh, go to the store, buy something brown and sweet, and then just add whatever you want to it. Because that's the easiest way to do it. If you want to put more brown sugar in it, if you want to put horseradish in it, if you want to put Worcestershire in it, you know, you can, whatever the flavors you like, you can you can use a basic sauce, but then out last few years, you know, we've gotten sauces like yours out there that are different, um, different flavors. And they're not just like, if you go look at a grocery store and, and it say you're in the, where the craft food sauces are sold, because there's a whole bunch of them, you know, and they'll say, well, this is hickory and this is mesquite and this is honey. Well, if you really look at, the ingredients list and where the ingredient particular ingredients are placed on that list. There's really not much honey in there. There's a little honey flavoring, you know, right. that type of thing. So how do people pick a good sauce? Well, you know, with everyone having so many dietary restrictions these days, um, it, it can be difficult. So I know like with my, my sauces and my product line, they're all gluten-free. There's three of, uh, and there's no MSG, there's no high fructose corn syrup. Um, so I would start with what you can, when you look at an ingredient label, what what you want your family to consume and what you don't want them to consume. Um, and then I always look for sodium and sugar. Um, so as long as they're not off the charts, you know. Um, but it's really hard when you go into the store and if you haven't tried them, because not everybody knows that, you know, a Memphis sauce is sweet and tangy or a Kansas City sauce is uh, thick and, you know, sweet and smoky. So um, once you do try a couple of them and you, you taste it and you're like, you know, I can do this. I, I feel like a lot of the backyard uh, barbecuers, you know, they're DIY people and they like to experiment. So... Um, like in, in the book, the book is designed to get you cooking. And these are accessible recipes. You know, there's not a lot of crazy ingredients. I have one one sauce, like for my Asian sauce in the book, um, I have a secret ingredient, which is uh, black garlic. Black garlic 
is um, almost molasses, like uh, balsamic-y kind of umami flavor. And it's really different than raw garlic. But you can get it. You can get it at Whole Foods. You can get it online at Amazon. Um, I happen to get it shipped up, and I put it in the book from uh, Black Garlic Market in Pensacola, Florida, because I love their their black garlic. Um, but the rest of the recipes, the other nine recipes, there's really nothing that you have to go out of your way to find. It's all stuff that you would have in your uh, pantry, and it makes it easy. There you go. We're going to take another break. I'm going to be back with Rayshian, his new book. Uh, award-winning barbecue sauces and how to use them and we will continue this discussion on the other side of these breaks if you're enjoying gt and his show come check out my podcast around the house with eric g where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast head to aroundthehouseonline.com Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT um, here in the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, and you're listening to us on the uh, Sun and Vision radio networks across the country and across the world, actually, on the streaming part of this. If you would like to um, contact us, it's pretty easy. You just go barbecue. That's bbq at salempdx.com. You can find our shows uh, not only on SoundCloud, but we have got 13... Finally counted them up so I could tell it to you guys. 13 different platforms that we're on. Everything from Captivate to Backtracks, um, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Omni, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, the whole bit. So we're out there. You can find us. We're breaking some new records as far as um, those platforms. So I'm really tickled with that. Uh, We've got Ray Sheehan today. New book. Good book. If you're into barbecue... And actually, just if you're into into conventional cooking, this book can help you, can give you some tips on it. Um, Award-winning barbecue sauces and how to use them. The secret ingredient to next-level smoking. So Ray's been around a long time. You can read his column in National Barbecue News and, of course, his Barbecue Buddha uh, sauces um, that he's created. It's a wonderful book, all kinds of stuff in it, but... You talked about five things in in the introduction of the book, I think, Ray, if I remember correctly. And you said five things that you need to know. What are those five things? In in the introduction? Yeah, you talked about it in the introduction. I said you're going to teach people five things they should know about using sauces. And uh, if I read that correct, but maybe I didn't, I don't know. But... uh, that was part of the book is teaching people how to use the sauces correctly. So we talked about people using them too early uh, in the process of cooking, but what else should they know about using sauces? Well, uh, we talk about in the book uh, building flavor and different bases. And I I try to give them like an overview of what um, kind of how to build a sauce and kind of how to make it your own. Uh, one of the things that you had mentioned was, you know, you can easily go and you can doctor your own uh, bottled sauce up. And, uh, it, uh, you know, and I'm here to say it's just as easy to make your own uh, for the most part. Uh, we talk about different bases and then different things that you can add to it, like things that are sour, spicy, uh, salty, savory. Uh, we talk about smoke, 
Uh, smoke is a great way to infuse uh, your barbecue sauce uh, with flavor, but there's a few different ways to do it. You know, you can add like a smoked paprika. You can add uh, liquid smoke if you if you so choose to. Um, and but the thing about the smoke is you want to use it kind of like salt and pepper. You want to use it as a seasoning rather than a predominant you know flavor. Right. Um, and you and you also want to have your own little secret ingredient. Uh, some of the secret ingredients, like one of my favorites, is uh, Chinese five spice powder. Uh, I love black garlic, but uh, there's so many other ones that you know you can make your own. Everything from bourbon and uh, coffee and beef drippings, even vanilla extract that you can use to distinguish your sauce from everyone else's. I'll give you a little secret about my favorite ingredient. That, um, that I know this show is about you and your book, but oh, I want to hear. I mean, this this could be my new secret ingredient. Right? Okay. Do you have there where you live uh, on the East Coast? Do you have Mazzetti? It's a brand name out of California. Mazzetti peppers, like Peppersini peppers, and those they're in a glass jar. Oh, you, you probably yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. yeah, you probably have. Uh, I take some of the juice from the from the uh, Peppersinis. Especially the juice if they've got the ones with garlic that are in, you know, it's peppersini peppers and the garlic in the jar. And I will put that in when I'm mixing up a barbecue sauce because it adds just a little more flavor, a bit of kick. Very On a kick scale, it's pretty low. Um, but I have some people in my household that don't like a big kick. They like on a scale of one to 10, they would like like a three or a four. Okay. Okay. They're not up in the seven, eight, nines, whatever. So I put that in there um, with other ingredients that I'm mixing up and it works out really well. And, and uh, you know, I guess you could say it's almost like it's a pickled type juice, but it does have the pepperoni flavor to it. It's just not that strong and it works out really well. Yeah, that sounds really good, like a good way to give it uh, almost like a sweet heat and a little bit of a bite without, like, taking over the whole sauce. Right, right. I'll put, uh, you know, a couple, three tablespoons if I'm mixing up a mixing bowl full of sauce in there. Uh, if I'm doing it for me, I put a little more and I'll put a little other heat factors in there. But it works out really well, and I think that's Part of the point in your book is you can be creative if you've got things that you like. Maybe it's things that your family uses in everyday cooking. Maybe they use white right. pepper instead of black pepper. You know, I don't know. People are different, but I think that works out for them. Uh, absolutely. And and it's always good. Like you said, you're starting out adding, you know, so they can go up to a heat level of like, say, a three, maybe a four. And you're not overdoing it, but you could always add more. So right. Once you put it in, you can't take it out. But once, you know, you put a little bit at a time and, and you can judge where it's at. Yeah. And that works good. And the other thing I've found over the years, and I don't know if you've ever tried this, but I'm just throwing this out there, is we have a product out here, um, and they may have it back where you live, but it's called Tule Lake Horseradish, and it's made in Tule Lake, California. It's up in Northern California. And it's a grated horseradish. 
It's not the creamy stuff. It's actually grated. So I'll, sometimes I take a right. couple of teaspoons of that and put it in there and um, mix it up. And it's, it's, a, it's a nice horseradish flavor. And I, this is the stuff I serve with like prime rib at Christmas and stuff. But, it, oh, yeah. but it's not so strong that, you know, you have to go get a gas mask to be around it. And uh, that works out pretty good, too. And sometimes I put everything in there. The the pickle pepper stuff and the horseradish and a little more molasses and some Worcestershire. And now you're talking as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, on the East Coast, we have a different brand, but but it's fresh grated horseradish. And the, the thing with the horseradish is that every batch is slightly uh, different as far as the heat level. Mm -hmm. So I would just recommend trying it before you put it in in a large quantity. Yes. To see, you know, well, a, a teaspoon of that in, you know, twelve ounces or sixteen ounces of barbecue sauce, yeah, you'll probably be pretty safe. But yeah. if you if you really like horseradish or that flavor, um, yeah, don't be throwing in a couple of tablespoons in that amount <laughs> because you you know you're going to have somebody sitting at the end of the table who who their eyes are going to bug out of their head. True. It's, uh, um, well, it's just my thought here. Um, when, when you were making all of these sauces, when you were developing these recipes, how long did that take you? Well, the sauces, I mean, a lot of these sauces, you know, like I said, they are, they all helped me win some kind of an award or sure. something along the way. So they were kind of works in progress. Uh, for the sauces, developing uh, some of the recipes, um, you know, like I've, I've been complimented on my North Carolina barbecue sauce, and it's um, it's like a Western North Carolina. It's a little bit thicker. It's not a super thin. It's got like a tomato, a little bit of tomato to it with a nice vinegar kick, and um, people are like, oh, my God, that's so good. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And I, they just, you know, oh, no, really, it's good. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to develop a recipe that they can drink it. So I did this uh, barbecue Bloody Mary. So then I developed, like, the Bloody Mary for the book, you know? Right. The, the sauce I already had done. And um, and the Bloody Mary, I have to say, I mean, it came out really nice. <laughs> <laughs> did you have different ways did you, have you to... can utilize the sauces besides just on, you know, uh, traditional smoked meats. Yeah, you know, like we have some nice side dishes and uh, an adult beverage, and even for you know some breakfast recipes as well. Did you have to do more than one take with when you were doing the Bloody Mary? <laughs> uh, just a few, just a couple takes. Okay, well, I I just wanted to be sure. You know, I I didn't want you to short yourself or anything there. Where we take a break here, it seems that cereal sales have skyrocketed as more Americans are eating breakfast at home. Really? I never would have guessed. With more Americans at home, cereal sales have shot up 11.8% year over year, according to the Nielsen data. Companies like Kellogg's, General Mills, and PepsiCo say breakfast product sales have soared in recent months. Uh, at fast food and fast casual chains, however, the opposite is true. There's not much recovery in the breakfast day part right now. In terms of the day part, breakfast is dried up. That's from Panera CEO Nairon uh, Chaudhary. 
sorry. Uh, to capitalize on the sale of breakfast foods eaten at home, several competitors have entered into the marketplace. Magic Spoon is one such product, a keto-friendly cereal startup that is aimed at adults. Um, Magic... <laughs> We have seen a bigger demand in our cereal, said Magic Spoon co-founder Gabby Lewis. From both new customers discovering Magic Spoon for the first time, but also our longtime customers who have been ordering more cereal at, uh, at a time while at home. While many industry analysts question the longevity of the sales spike, others aren't too worried. Uh, we're pretty confident that the at-home consumption is going to remain elevated, said Kellogg's CEO, uh, Steve Callahan. So there you go. Eat more cereal. I don't know what your favorite is. Uh, mine's kind of Frosted Flakes and Cocoa Pebbles. We'll be back with more Barbecue Nation in just a minute. Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Sun and Vision Radio Networks. Little uh, Rolling Stones, and we've got Ray Sheehan uh, from Barbecue Buddha. Um, there, as we talked yesterday, I think on the phone, Ray, there's another Barbecue Buddha out there uh, that's a blogger, but it's not you, and you've been around a long time. So I want you to clarify that for people, please. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so I'm Ray Sheehan from barbecue buddha award-winning sauces and seasonings uh, we put out barbecue sauces i uh, just wrote a uh, cookbook to tell you all about these barbecue sauces and how to use them and um, this other gentleman uh, chris sussman he's the barbecue buddha he's a food blogger and uh, i believe he's in kentucky now uh nice guy uh you know we tried yeah. to uh I sent him some of my sauces. He made a nice video with some ribs and tried to let people know that we're two different uh, two different Buddhas in the same universe here <laughs> of barbecue. Um, so he's a food blogger, and uh, I have an award-winning sauce company. And uh, you know, I've been around. This is uh, we're coming up on uh, five years uh, at being in business, and um, over the course of the five years. Uh, I feel like we've come a long way and we've won some uh, good awards for our sauces. And uh, we're actually, you know, to celebrate that to the, through the end of uh, April, we're running a special on our website, buy three, get one free on sauces and seasonings. There you go. Let you know. There you go. And Ray's been around the food business a lot longer than that. He worked in the, whole yeah, the whole deal started out with what your uncle or your grandfather. Um, when I was a child, I spent a lot of time on my grandfather's farm and, uh, he had, uh, you know, crops, he had pigs, chickens, cows, he butchered his, his, you know, animals and, uh, cooked over a live fire. And that, that was something that really inspired me, um, 
to get into, uh, you know, live fire and outdoor cooking. Um, and I've just been curious and I've been in the food business, you know, curious to learn all about food my entire life. And I've been working in the industry for the last um, 25, 30 years. Sure. <laughs> in, in, in food. It, like I, I just seem like I always had a feed job, uh, whether it was, uh, I, I remember there was one restaurant that I worked that I actually worked next door doing the produce. And after work, I was maybe 15, I would go and watch the chef cook, and he would tell me, you stand there, he would make Dutch's potatoes, prime rib, he would make, you know. So I would just watch him during service. And um, eventually, uh, I got to apprentice at a really great restaurant uh, by me that was ranked in Gourmet Magazine's top tables, and that really set me on a path to go to culinary school and to learn, you know, taught me how to make sauces and my knife skills. Um, that was Mumford's Unique American Cuisine. And uh, and I'm grateful for that experience. You know, I've gotten to work just about every facet of the food industry, every position from dishwasher on up to chef um, and food service director. So um, I, I, I felt like you could learn something from everyone. I've learned, you know, from dishwashers up to chefs. How, you know, every little trick and, and how to do things. And I just try to be a sponge and absorb. And, uh, and then same thing with barbecue. Um, I took class with uh, Bob Trudnack from Barbecue Guru. That was the first barbecue class that I took and really opened my eyes to the world of barbecue. What a great guy, too. Oh, yeah. Bob's, um, Bob's great. Bob is great. I, I ended up taking a uh, cool smoke uh, master competition barbecue class with Tuffy Stone uh, in Virginia. And, you know, you can never stop learning. And that's the other thing. You know, I, I love to inspire people. And I love to teach. And, and that's why, like, I teach outdoor cooking classes. I, I That's the other reason why I wanted to write a book, because I want to share this knowledge. You know, somebody said to me, oh, you're going to give away your you, this recipe for your Memphis mop, and you won all these awards. And I'm like, yeah, but what good is it if I keep that to myself? If I don't share that with everyone and share that with the universe, I mean, I, I want to put out really good, um, positive and, uh, you know, award-winning products. And I want, I want people to try to emulate that. Why not? Absolutely. That's, that's how we all learn. I mean, I, I've tried to emulate from the best people in the, in the business myself. I mean, you, you know, you, it's the way it is. It's the way it should be. Well, it is. And, and tell them again, Ray, we're just about out of time on the regular show, but Ray's going to stick around for the after hours. Tell them how they can find you. Sure. I think you can find me at uh, bbqbuddha.com. That's bbqbuddha.com. Um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, bbqbuddha. There you go. Before we get out of here, um, I wanted to tell you something. Nearly 20% of all American families can't afford foods. Uh, that's the current data coming out of the U.S. Census. More Americans are going hungry as food prices and unemployment both increase. Um, that's of last month. I think unemployment now is going down a little bit. I'm not sure of the stats. As of late last month, about 12.1% of adults lived in households with limited food supplies up from 9.8% in early May. This is according to census data. So around 20% of Americans couldn't afford to feed their children enough food, up from 17% in early June. As a result, food banks have been overwhelmed uh, 
Feeding America, a Chicago-based nonprofit network of food banks, has distributed 1.9 billion meals since March, about 50% more than normal. That's according to their uh, chief operating officer, Katie Fitzgerald. She says, we already have had uh, responded to an extraordinary way to the elevated demand. Our fear is that much of what we need in federal support to continue um, that they're not going to get it because we might be struggling to respond if we have to go much higher than that. The number of American on food stamps is also riding at a rate of 16% between March and April alone, according to the Department of Ag. The number now is predicted to grow as unemployment unemployed Americans no longer can collect the supplemental unemployment checks of $600 per week. Uh, it's clear to me that there is a big problem here, says Diane Whitmore, uh, Schatzenbach, a Northwestern University economist out of Chicago there, and the problem seems to be worse than it was at the height of the Great Recession. So take that for what it's worth, but I know some people are going hungry. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Thanks for listening to Barbecue Nation. Our next hour is coming up uh, next week, as a matter of fact, when the new shows come out. I'm Jeff Tracy. Take care, everybody. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.